Welcome to the Spearline Podcast. Each episode, we talk to thought leaders in the technology and telecoms industry from all around the world. In this episode, Josh and I are delighted to be joined by Andy Gent, CEO of Revector. Andy has been in the telecoms industry for over 20 years and set up Revector to combat SIM box fraud against mobile network operators in 2001. We delve into the world of grey routes, telecoms fraud, and much more. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Andy, thank you very much for coming on. Would you uh, be able to tell us a little bit about yourself, your experiences in the telecoms industry and how Revector came to be? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, just about myself. I started in the telecom industry back in 1970 with uh, effectively the post office, which is British Telecom. And over the years, got involved in design and development of communication products, um, getting into the early 90s where after designing a number of products from PCs and um, telex switches, joined Mercury Communications, which was part of the cable and wireless group. In the mid-90s, I ran a startup in Hong Kong with Hong Kong Telecom and NTT of Japan. And then that was involved in the PHS technology, which was the same as DECT, but in, in Asia. And within one year, Tokyo had 7 million phones, and it was a massive growth of micro-mobile. After which I went to Pakistan to run Pactel, which was the largest mobile phone company in Pakistan. Then from that point in time, I became interested in fraud that was going on on networks. Prior to that, I was director of mobile when we had 50 mobile operations and I won the Mobile One license and the WIG license in both Singapore and France. So that was a lot of mobile background. And again, working with people like MTM in the early days, one-to-one in the UK. After which I went to Kuwait and ran the internet business, and then a number of other startups in the US and in Ireland. Um, 2001, 2006, I was um, doing some self-work at home, and I started the Brevector. In 2006, I went out to Afghanistan and found the Simbox fraud. And I came back and developed a product to address Simbox fraud. And from then to today, we've worked in over 100 countries around the world, winning two Queen's Awards in 2012 for our innovation and for our exports. Wow. Okay. Well, it's uh, safe to say you have a wealth of experience in telecoms. So you set up Revector to tackle fraud. This is something that keeps telecoms managers awake at night. How prevalent is fraud and what are the main forms of fraud that are happening on networks today? Um, My view is um, very similar to what the CFCA comes up with. And there's a report by the CFCA, which I've not read recently, but it's X billion um, of fraud on the networks around the world. And it's it's getting up to 10% in some places of the revenue. So there's quite a lot of fraud. Where the fraud that I concentrate on was um, interconnect fraud and termination fraud, which was basically Simbox fraud. And this is where you can have a local 
a local termination rate of say five cents, but the international termination rate is 20 cents. So there's a 15 cents difference. Yeah. And um, that 15 cents difference could be bridged by a fraudster. Right. And that's, that's was happening in 2006. And we predicted it'd be two or three years before that disappeared, but it's still ongoing. Wow. And today in one African country, I still find some days a thousand SIM cards, which are the thousand legal SIM cards, which are legally transmitting international revenue. Okay. So, and, and how does how does Revector detect fraud exactly? Okay. So, on the SIM box fraud, what I did back in two thousand six, we um, we worked out a system to make telephone calls from all the bad routes around the world. So basically, um, traffic um, in the past, going back 20, 30 years, between, say, BT and France Telecom or BT and South African Telecom, you should just exchange traffic. Um, with the invention of mobile, then mobile traffic, first of all, went directly to each other, but then through brokers and international carriers. And there's a big business in international carriers and then also in grey routes as well as white routes to different countries. Mm -hmm. And what we do is make telephone calls over the worst routes we can find, which land in country, and by the techniques that we've developed, we can actually find within a second whether that's an illegal um, termination. Well, that's really impressive. Yeah, really impressive, actually. Um, like we're in a similar space to your company, um, as we're we're both helping people with blind spots in the network. You know, most companies they're not aware of the problems they could be facing on the network until they run into issues, or we as a company highlight this to them. Um, could you talk about the complexity of this and maybe what your company does to to make companies aware? Um, yeah, so. As I say, we worked in over 100 countries, and mainly that's been through networking and PR through um, our PR company and you know knowledge at GSMA conferences and both the um, Barcelona Worldwide Conference. So we do advertise. Well, we don't advertise. We go to exhibitions, but mainly it was um, networking at fraud forums with the telecom operators. Right. And then... A lot of it's by word of mouth because there's only a few companies that can actually deliver all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we, we do make companies aware. However, you know, it, it's more and more difficult as, com as telecoms companies get larger, they become, um, you know, different departments such as there's a very small fraud department compared to the marketing department. Yeah. So most of the time, they don't have the resources to, A, find out what the problems are, or B, address the problems. Mm -hmm. And I found a number of companies who just ignore it, you know, and just put it down to general losses. Okay, probably not the right way to go. And uh, how does fraud like affect a connection for a customer? Does this affect audio quality and the connection quality? Yeah, yeah. Um, I could tell you that I've made, say, two and a half million calls to somewhere like Kenya mm. in the last two years, um, but only 60% of those, or even less, arrive in country. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, so there's a lot. 
of um, calls get disappear, especially on the gray routes. Mm-hmm. And again, in the early days, I was using things like AT&T calling cards and I'd buy a calling card either in New York or online and make three calls and the $5 would disappear, but none of the calls would arrive on my um, terminal where I was dialing. You know, so a lot of calls get rerouted to different areas. Mm. Um, so, and that's because the gray routes um, are not true. You know, if you buy, most of the larger companies try to buy um, white routes, which are guaranteed to go through. But again, um, it's a bit like the the mortgage in, you know, the mortgage crash where they were mixing bad properties with good properties. Yeah. Um, Exactly the same happens, you know, um, you get lots of gray routes mixed in. And in fact, one company that I was dealing with was selling to, I think, the stock exchange quality minutes. And we tested some of those minutes to different countries. And a lot of them came over gray, even though they were guaranteeing to be pure. Okay. So it's a, it's a very complex mix. Yeah, it sounds it, yeah. Definitely. And w- would gray routes impact the audio quality then as well? Yeah, the, the audio quality does go down however now with Mm -hmm. the voip services that are online you know and we're finding you know as you're probably finding with facebook or whatsapp or skype Mm. you know the voice voice qualities is better than gsm if you're on wi-fi um so they're using you know the latest codecs and um quality voip products to pass the traffic but it can be seen in some countries with delays or with errors coming along. But, it, right. you know, the quality is mainly can you get through and are you really getting through to the people at the other end? Right. Okay. And uh, you're mentioning it there a lot, grey routes. I, I think most of our listeners there now might, may, may have heard this term before, um, some may not. But, but for those who haven't, would you be able to explain exactly what a grey route means? Yeah, so a white route, for instance, um, somebody may have a a agreed connection into Afghanistan, say, to Roshan. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, British Telecom would send a call to Roshan, and it would go through the pure routes of France Telecom, Monaco Telecom, and to Roshan in Afghanistan. Um, a grey route is where somebody like myself sets up a SIM box or another type of termination in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, offers termination minutes to the market and say, I can deliver minutes to Afghanistan. And they make a call, it comes to my system, which is somewhere in the cloud, and then I send it to Afghanistan and I'll use a box with local SIM cards in to deliver those calls. And that's a grey route, and I would sell it at a percentage less than the real price. So okay. a, a classic example was, say, 2006. Um, a call from the UK was 25 cents to Afghanistan per minute. The operator and the government got 20 cents in, Afghanistan that was shared in a certain way and they would deliver the minutes. 
You could though go and buy a local SIM card for five cents a minute, and I could send it to Afghanistan over a system which costs money, but then deliver it for five cents a minute. So there's a differential of fifteen cents. Wow, yeah, yeah. it's a big difference. Yeah, mm. very big. And what would be the biggest risks of um, sending messages through grey routes? And how how can somebody tell if messages are going through grey routes? A lot of times people don't notice it. Yeah. The main things that people do notice is that they don't get the the calling number or they okay. may get a local number instead. So okay. they're not getting... So if, if I'm calling you on my mobile number, mm. you would see Andy Gent's mobile number. But I might be calling you and you'll see a number from, say, the USA, or you may see no number at all. Yeah. Um, and the difficulty is, is their customers, you know, or people may be making calls and people won't take calls because they don't see the real number. Mm. So there's a lot of um, spin-offs. The other sort of negatives is that um, because all these SIM cards are on one cell tower, then, you know, the operator has to put more um, capacity in, mm-hmm. which costs more money. And then right. overall costs more to the customer at the end of the day. Mm, yeah. And um, over the last 18 months, traffic has increased significantly. And we've, we've seen companies invest more in testing numbers to provide a high quality experience for their customers. What can go wrong when providers purchase cheap minutes and are they routed over unregulated spaces? The answer to that is um, lots of things can go wrong. But again, it comes down to the economics. You know, mm-hmm. you get... I've had one country where there's four operators and one's getting the lion's share of the traffic. The other one isn't, but he may take in minutes that he knows are gray. Mm-hmm. So then he can pass it on for a termination fee to the to the leading operator. And he's actually making cash. So he makes some, you know, some sense. But the operator who's getting it should be getting the full interconnect rate from international traffic, and he's losing quite a lot. So I've seen operators play games, and these are risks that happens to all, which at the end of the day all comes back to what the customer pays for his mobile network. Okay, So I suppose it's very important for, for carriers and providers to know what routes they're paying for. How would someone get full transparency over a route? How can they be sure? Um, There are a number of companies which, you know, and and some of the major companies put it in their terms and conditions to buy white routes. But even those companies end up, you know, they buy off somebody, um, which may be a major wholesaler like BICBICS or PCCW or um, Tata. But each of those have got... Um, they've got revenue targets, so they may split some of these out and sell them off. Mm, okay. Some of the African countries may only take in minutes from one of those carriers, and they organise that they get a certain percentage all the time. So it, it's it really to get transparency, it's very difficult. Right. Okay. You have reached Sorry, a number the number you have dialed is not in service. No longer. Do you know if your phone lines are working? Are your customers complaining of bad audio quality on your support lines? Spearline makes it easy to test your phone lines anywhere and anytime. To see how Spearline can help your business, head to spearline.com. Now back to the conversation. 
Um, there, there was recently a data breach in our health service here in Ireland, which is resulting in many people receiving automated calls for various scams. Um, it's very frustrating. Uh, but as a result of this, many people have stopped answering numbers they don't recognize, um, including myself. I see a number that comes up and I don't recognize the number and I immediately think, okay, it's either a scam thing or, you know, this, this is just extremely frustrating. How prevalent is robocall type of fraud? And what are the regulations around these robocalls in North America compared to Europe? Yeah, I, I think robocalls are are massive, both in North America and Europe and everywhere mm-hmm. at this point in time. You know, if you look at examples in the past, Wangiri fraud um, was quite large. Um, and again, Wangiri fraud, if you don't know, was based on the Japanese word Wangiri, where it's a short duration. Right. So you get a call and you'd see a number come in and then it disappears. So you get a call from a number and, you know, X percent of people will call it back. Mm-hmm. And when they call it back, it may be ringing. So you think it's ringing, but it's actually answered and that's a false ringing. So it's actually mm-hmm. billing okay. the person and it might be billing them on a premium rate. That's one type of fraud. Robo calls now where, as you say, within the National Health Service saying this is a COVID line, ring it back. Or it's trying to get um, details onto your computer where they're saying we are, we're, we're Microsoft and there's a fault on your IP network, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. The, these are prevalent and I believe they can all be stopped. Um, it's just the amount of effort that the operators and the regulators want to put into it. Right. You know, I've, I've been to one operator in the UK and seen um, like the Microsoft call and finding out all the numbers are coming from, say, Bangladesh. Mm. But then what do you do with the IP numbers from Bangladesh? How do you stop them? And there are ways, but then you pass in legal lines of stopping the people doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Exactly the same way as um, I, I've seen there are systems, quite a few Irish companies as well, of building SMS protection and um, you know intelligence that they can go in the network to look for these um, types of calls and okay. and I don't see why they shouldn't be used. You know, effectively, mm-hmm. if somebody is pushing out an SMS over um, to um, the National Health Service, you know, and they're doing it to so many million people, you know, there, there are systems in place where you can see that same message is going across the network. Mm-hmm. You, know, you should be able to block it. Yeah, yeah. I know that banks are really trying to be careful with that as well. Like a lot of, I, th- I know that term- permanent TSB is one of them. Um, they, they're constantly saying that like, we'll never actually ask for your proper details or anything like that. You know, that you go through the website, go through the mobile app and stuff and trying to make it as secure as possible. Yeah. So there's, there's quite a lot of frauds, you know, from what I've been dealing in the last 20 years of um, termination type fraud to... Um, these automated scams to Wangiri mm-hmm. and, you know, then even SIM swapping type of things where, you know, I go into a an O2, a three um, dealer in Ireland and get your number and swap it onto my phone and then phone up a bank and pretend I'm you, et cetera. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, SIM swaps is, was really big in America because of some of the systems that are in place a few years ago. We're just not very strong. So um, there is a lot of frauds, but it's one of my concerns, and I've, I've said this openly quite a bit, 
when I was a telecoms operator, I didn't fully understand it. But now, the last 20 years, it's quite, um, people are aware. Mm -hmm. But I still think the mobile operators don't do enough. They don't put enough manpower in the fraud department. They don't put enough effort to stop it. Um, They put more into finding customers you know, through marketing, et cetera, or sales, then actually stopping the fraud. Yeah. And it's very important as well. Like, you know, rather than just getting a new customer, a new, new form of revenue, um, it's a very, very, it's a very, very important piece that more, more companies should be focusing on and prioritizing. Uh, definitely, you know, definitely. Um, again, in the early days, you know, I, I knew of one company in South America, the CEO got, and all his team got bonuses for getting customers. Mm-hmm. But the amount of fraud had grown ridiculously, but they weren't they weren't sort of monitored on that. Right. Um, so the bottom line profit in the next few years were actually quite low. But it's it's like they're like jokes fraud. You know, if you hear a joke once and it's about um, a certain type of person or whatever, then a few years later you hear it again in a different form. And fraud's the same; it comes out in a different fraud in a different way mm-hmm. years later and what kind of regulations are around at the moment like for robocalls let's say um in north america compared to europe compared to different areas around the world i'm not fully up to date but in north north america the fcc are trying to put in regulations on robocalls and um mm. fine operators and put in new systems which to me seem quite complex okay what i'm actually seeing though is as I say, there's there's new frauds going on all the time. And I think, you know, the GSMA do a lot of work on the fraud forum and things like that. Right. And um, there is a, a user, fraud user manual within the GSMA to advise uh, the operators. And they do get together and work with the operators to make certain they're up to date. Okay. And you mentioned earlier as well, uh, terminations. I suppose there's there's a lot that can go wrong with terminations as well. And we've seen many lines uh, being terminated to the, the incorrect number. Um, for example, we had one pharmaceutical company who had their vaccine helpline terminated to a an adult phone line. And only two weeks ago, we had a conference number terminated to a private residence. So they ended up getting phone calls every half hour from people trying to log in. This would, of course, affect the company's brand reputation and their customer experience. So we help with testing of these numbers to make sure they are terminating to the correct number. But how can fraud impact these types of terminations? I, I can give you one example where we made calls to a Caribbean island on behalf of the operator from around the world to see where if the calls are all getting there. And most, you know, we, we got we were calling real numbers in real time during the day. So these people should answer or it should go to their um, voicemail. Right. And we were getting a number of the calls went to a church line in North America, which was a premium rate. And a number of calls went to a chemist in North America, which wasn't a premium rate. But it's basically the gray routes were making money out of taking the calls. Okay. But then they were pushing them towards their friends who were taking more calls. So that's one type where it's it's purposely terminated on the wrong thing. Right. I think a lot of other termination and the one that you're talking about could be just a pure accident. Right. Um, there could be just sabotage, you know, somebody causing trouble and some, secondly to generate revenue. 
Right, right. And um, yeah, so uh, I don't know if you have a crystal ball or anything you can see into the future, but um, what future threats do you think are on the horizon and telecoms providers really should be mindful of? Um, We saw a couple of years ago um, OTT frauds and messaging apps. Mm -hmm. And over the TTT, such as Viber, WhatsApp, Skype, one of those companies set up a termination company and you would make a GSM call from the UK and it would arrive as a Viber call in Senegal. Mm-hmm. And therefore, nobody got any revenue in Senegal. It just it just arrived. Okay. Yeah. You know, I did a test in Malta with a Sri Lankan phone and I called it from my UK phone in Malta and it arrived on the Sri Lankan phone on Viber. Mm-hmm. So nobody got any revenue. Mm. Except Viber was effectively um, passing the call through. Um, that comes and goes, and it has been seen on other OTT services. But I think as the the world changes, somebody will realize they can make some money in some way. And um, they will use it for terminating. And really, that's where, if, if there's any way they can make money, they will do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the other part about it, the threat that I see is the telecom operators don't react fast enough. You know, they're bureaucratic right. companies at the end of the day mm. with lines of demarcation between marketing, sales, and and fraud. Yeah. And um, the fraudsters, you know, are quite ruthless of making money. Yeah. And I suppose technology moves so fast as well that... Do you know, bigger companies mightn't be as fast as um, people committing to fraud. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's always the case. You know, that's always the case. You know, and, um, you know, I've spent 20 years in this fraud and, you know, now developing products to um, actually locate the people. And and that's what I'm concentrating on now. We, we can locate devices that, are, that we know are fraudulent. So, you know, right. it's down to the operators to really put the effort in and um and put the resources in to stop the fraud right yeah great and um, well thank you andy for coming on the podcast that was a really interesting conversation before we finish where can people find out more about revector um basically we use our website um www.revector.com okay or myself on linkedin is okay. the normal way um you know you can find us online, and that's the quickest way. Um, most of our work is is developed through networking, and um, what we're doing today is part of that. I'd like to thank you anyway for letting us have a, a word with you guys. Yeah, it was a fantastic to have you on, so thanks very much for coming on. Okay, um, yeah, thank you very much, Andy. Um, this was brilliant. Very, very informative. No problem. And that wraps up another fantastic episode. Massive thank you again to Andy Gent, CEO of Vector, for coming onto the show and sharing his insights and experiences surrounding fraud. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms so you won't miss any new episodes. Visit www.spearline.com forward slash the Spearline podcast so you can listen back to previous episodes and don't forget to like, share and subscribe on all your favorite social media platforms. Spearline proactively monitors phone numbers for audio quality and connectivity globally. 
Our platform enables enterprises and telecommunication service providers to test connectivity and quality on global telecoms networks, testing automatically at volume. If you would like to find out more about how Spearline can help you, please contact us at spearline.com. And for more insights and in-depth interviews like these, you can subscribe to the Spearline podcast channel and don't forget to check out spearline.com where you can find all of our latest articles, white papers and much more. Till next time, and thank you for listening to the Spearline Podcast.